This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, As Ashley said, my name is Becca, and I'm the Worship Arts Director here at Legacy, and so it's it's kind of exciting, kind of scary to get the chance to be here on a Sunday morning sharing the word with you, but I'm so excited. And I'll just echo what Ashley said, like, I love VBS. I think it's the best thing that our church gets to do to lay a foundation for those kids. Um, You know, my family, my parents brought me and my brothers and sisters to a VBS 36 years ago, and my parents never left that church. We grew up in that church, we stayed there, they're still attending that church 36 years later. So thank you, Ashley, for your heart for kids, and thank you, Legacy, for how you impact kids, because it is amazing. So we've been in this uh, series about failure. For me, it's been a really eye-opening series to get the chance to um, interact with these different characters from God's word, these people that were actually living people who went through failures and by God's grace, they came through on the other side of that failure changed. And that is the same promise that God offers to us that through our failure, we can come out on the other side changed. And I think that is so, so amazing. You know, our first character that we met was Moses, and he, we, we heard that he started off as a failure. He started off as a murderer, dealing with shame and fear and regret, and God changed him into a cornerstone, into a patriarch of the Old Testament. He became the leader of a wandering people in the desert that eventually found their way to the promised land. After that, we met with Elijah, and we saw his success um, and the glory that he brought to the true God against Jezebel's false prophets, and he found himself running in fear rather than trusting in his faith in the one who he had just glorified. But God renewed him through his love and revealed, revealed himself to him in a whisper and in the shelter of the rock. And then last week, we met with Saul, another murderer, who literally, his job was to hunt down early followers of Christ and either imprison them or kill them. Like, that was his job. That's amazing. And God took him and changed him to become one of the most influential people, influential apostles through all of church history. How amazing is it that God can transform a failure into a foundation for his kingdom? And today we're gonna be looking at Peter, also known as Simon. This was a disciple with many failures, many failures, and we're gonna see how God used his numerous failures to prepare him to become the rock, the foundation for his church. Um, But before we meet with Peter, I wanna pray together. Lord God, I'm so grateful um, for this morning. I'm so grateful for the way that you bring us through failures. I pray that your words um, would speak through me and that um, you would be glorified this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So Peter, when we first meet him in the Gospels, he's just a simple fisherman. Both Matthew and Mark's Gospels say that when Jesus said to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he immediately left the nets 
and followed him. But Luke's gospel has a little bit more in-depth story that gives us a glimpse of Luke's, of, excuse me, Peter's character and passion. So the story starts out like this. Jesus had been near the lake and a crowd had been following him and gathering to listen to him. And because the crowd was so big, he asked some fishermen if he could go out on their boat and get away from the crowds, they could still hear him. And so that was Peter's boat. And he began to teach from there. And it says in Luke chapter five, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who's also known as Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then later on in verse 11, it says, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. We see Peter here as a little bit of a skeptic, but also as this impulsive believer. He didn't want to put those nets back in the water. It had been a long night of fishing, but he does it. Probably because he had seen the crowd and because he had maybe known a little bit about Jesus and they had drawn that attention, and, but we don't really know why, but he put the nets back into the water. And because he did what was asked of him, Jesus worked a miracle. He makes the catch so large that the fishermen are even overwhelmed by all the fish. Their boats, they bring them into the shore and before they even get there, Peter is surrendered. Before Jesus even has the time to ask him, he's already putting himself at Jesus' feet. And when Jesus says to follow me, it's immediate. He leaves the boat, he leaves the fish, he leaves the nets, his whole life behind to follow Jesus. Peter is the first disciple that Jesus called to follow him. And anywhere in the Gospels that we see the disciples listed, Peter is always named first because he was their leader. You know, I'd like to imagine myself in Peter's situation here that I, I think that I would love to just throw myself at Jesus' feet and say, yes, Lord, I'm here for you, but I guess, if I was honest, I would probably say, let me, let me go pray about that, Jesus. I gotta go home and talk to my husband and see what we, what we think about this decision. You know, but not Peter. He was impulsive and his decision was immediate. His surrender was all. And Jesus saw that passion. He saw how willing Peter was to surrender and to lead the way for the other disciples. And in that moment, he became the spokesperson for the group. He was the one that would speak out and ask the questions and give the answers for the group. And later in his life, and for the early church, that would become Peter's greatest strength. But not yet. You know, with an impulsive personality like that, things can get kind of messy. We all have maybe one impulsive friend in our group of friends who's always doing something for fun, getting in trouble, making a crazy decision. If you're thinking 
I don't think I have that friend in my group, then it's probably you, <laughs> because you're the one that everybody goes, oh yeah, that's our crazy friend, right? There's also maybe the opposite side of that, that really logical friend that advises against a quick decision that says, let's think this through before we, before we jump. Um, in high school, I had two friends just like that. I had one who was a lot like me, who would make these decisions, and we would go out and have fun without thinking about the consequences or the choices that we were making. And I remember one time we were driving down by the Kimball Bottoms area in my um, Ford Escort. I don't know if you know, that's like a really small car and it was pretty low to the ground. And um, we came across this um, really muddy path. And my friend John, who was our impulsive friend, was actually driving the car and he, he looked at it, he took a look and he said, we can make it. And my friend Thomas was in the back seat and he said, I think we should think this through. I don't think we can make it. And John and I were like, let's do it. And he put the pedal to the metal and we went flying into this mud and we got stuck. Like really, really stuck. And as John and I tried to figure out how to get out of this mud, maneuvering, digging, pushing the car back and forth, kind of like when you're stuck in the snow, we were doing that in the mud. We were covered from head to toe with mud. And our friend Thomas sat in the back seat the entire time. <laughs> he watched us struggle and he said, you guys got yourself into this mess, I'm not getting you out of it. And it actually took us hours before we were finally out of the mud and Thomas never helped. So Peter, in his impulsiveness, often got himself into um, situations that didn't work out very well either that ended in failure. One of these failures happened one night on a lake, and it's kind of a famous story. It takes place after Jesus had just fed the 5,000 people after this miracle had just happened. He was tired, and he wanted to stay and pray. And so the disciples all got in the boat and were making their way across the water. When Jesus um, realized that there was no boat left for him to ride back over the thing, he just did what God would do and decided to walk across. And as the disciples saw him um, out walking on the water, they were filled with fear and they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, calm down, it's just me, don't worry. But you know, Peter didn't act in fear. He was courageous and impulsive. And he called out to Jesus, if it's really you, command me to come out and walk on the water. And Jesus replied, come. I'm sure Jesus was thinking, oh, Peter, the lessons you're going to learn from this, from this moment. I might have been afraid along with the others, or maybe I wouldn't have been afraid because I don't really believe in ghosts, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been the one to call out to this ghost on the water and challenge him to command me to come walking on the water. But that's what Peter did. Most of us know this story. He acted with a courageous but somewhat prideful attitude as he stepped out of the boat and began walking on the water. I don't know if it was fear or pride that got in the way, but as soon as Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. He cried out, and Jesus grabbed his hand and saved him. He wasn't going to let Peter drown in the water. It's like one of those moments where we say to ourselves, I can do this, I'm up for the challenge, I have what it takes. But the moment that things start to get a little scary, 
or a little fearful, we give in to that fear. I've been, I've been there. I've been thinking, I've got the strength to do this. I know how to do it. I have the skills. And it becomes prideful. And I believe that's what the underlying failure is in this situation. Not that Peter got out of the boat, but that he thought he could do it on his own. Once he was in the situation, he started feeling the excitement and the thrill of like, I'm walking on this water. It would have been so amazing. And he started gazing out across the waves. And in that moment, instead of keeping his eyes fixed on the one that was empowering him to walk miraculously above the waves, he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. When we find ourselves ankle deep in the water of a challenge that Jesus has invited us to participate in, here's the question. Do we keep our eyes on him, or do we start thinking about ourselves and how amazing we are and how good we are going to look and how much people will like me in this situation? That is pride, and pride can be an epic fail if we allow it to be. But what did Jesus think? In our eyes, we see this failure, but I think Jesus saw the potential behind Peter's actions. Jesus saw this passionate, willing disciple, and he saw the future man that Peter would become, a leader unafraid of the challenges that would come as the church was born, a preacher that on the day of Pentecost would share a message and lead 3,000 new people to believe in Jesus the Messiah. He was a warrior that would fight for the gospel to be known beyond the Jewish people to all of the world. And that was the man that Peter was going to become, but he wasn't there yet. He had other failures that Jesus wanted him to learn from. We do know also that Peter's impulsiveness led to violence sometimes. The night of the Last Supper, as Jesus brought the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane's, Peter would act again with impulsiveness. And his moment of failure is intertwined with Judas's treachery. There were the guards, the words of Judas, how he came to Jesus as he was praying in the garden and with a kiss, Jesus was betrayed. And those guards then came up and grabbed Jesus to take him away. And I imagine that they handled him roughly, which was unnecessary because Jesus didn't even resist. And Peter saw, and he got angry. He drew out his sword and cut off a guard's ear. This was a disciple that had just spent three years with Jesus, who had taught peace, patience, and kindness, and that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Big fail. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter and say to him, put your sword away. Can't I say to the Father, fight for me if I wanted him to? I don't need you to do it for me. And then he healed the wounded ear and surrendered himself to the guards. He knew God's plans for that night that Peter couldn't see. He also knew that Peter would later endure pain, be taken as a prisoner, even be crucified, all for the sake of the gospel. But on that night, no fight was needed. But Peter fought it. 
Peter was Jesus' first disciple, his inner circle friend, and the fear of this moment must have been so intense for him. They were coming to take Jesus away by force. He was not going to let them hurt his teacher, his friend, his Lord. How must Jesus have felt looking at Peter in this moment? Was he proud of him? Was he worried? Was he sad for the choices that Peter had made? I think, once again, he knew what the future would hold for Peter. That as the church would grow, Peter would need to be ready to endure pain and suffering, even to death, for the message of the gospel to be known. And instead of fighting with violence, he would have to endure violence just as Jesus was about to endure. And so Jesus said, stop. Don't be like one of them, using violence against violence. It's that same night, though, that Peter had his ultimate fail, the one that he's most famous for. We might say it's the fail that could have ended it all for him, the fail that caused so much shame and so much self-loathing his denial of Jesus, not only once, but three times. The irony of this fail was that Jesus had even told him that it would happen, and yet he walked right into it. In Matthew 26, 30, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you up to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples said the same. So here we see Peter speaking so self-assuredly, so arrogantly that even if they all fall away, Jesus, I won't. And Jesus tells him, but you will. Not only once, Peter, but three times. And Peter says, no. You're wrong. I would never do that. Can you imagine telling Jesus you're wrong? It's just crazy. It's, it's prideful and arrogant. But Jesus knew what Peter would do, that he would act like he didn't even know him, that he would abandon him in his moment of greatest need. And also, he knew what the future held beyond this night, that although in this moment he would abandon Jesus, Peter would not abandon his church. He would become the courageous leader that Jesus saw in him, but he wasn't there yet. We can read and find that Peter had not fully abandoned Jesus in the garden. It says that all the disciples fled, but Peter followed at a safe distance to keep his eye on Jesus, and he was within view of Jesus the whole time that Jesus was being interrogated by the priests and the elders. Peter was there listening. That was his courage. He courageously got close enough to see 
what was happening. All the others had fled, but Peter's courage brought him into the courtyard that night. But his courage didn't last very long. When a servant girl recognized him and began to insist that he was one of Jesus' followers, he failed. He immediately gave in. As soon as the realization came that that what might happen from this situation, he denied that he even knew Jesus. And this was only hours after his conversation with Jesus that he would never deny him, even if it meant giving up his life. Here he was, overcome with fear, and swearing that he had never met Jesus. Luke tells this moment like this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, who had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He looked Jesus right in the eye. And he knew immediately what he'd done. And he went out and wept bitterly. This was when he fled to hide in the shame of his failure, far from where Jesus could look at him, far away from the other disciples. Often in moments of deep regret, we find ourselves doing the same thing, fleeing the situation, removing ourselves where anyone can see what we've done wrong, how we failed, and we hide and we try to get away from it. But instead, we relive it over and over and over again and wallow in our shame and our fear. This is the failure that almost ended it for Peter, hiding in shame. And it's a failure that sometimes we can find ourselves stuck in as well, hiding in shame. The crucifixion happened without even a mention of Peter's name. Peter's not mentioned again in the Gospels until the resurrection. And in Mark's Gospel, it's Mary Magdalene that's at the empty tomb when the angel says, he is risen, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter's separated. I imagine he doesn't even consider himself one of them anymore. His failure is beyond repair. He isn't welcomed anymore as one of the disciples of Jesus. But the angel says, and Peter. He is not excluded from this good news. He is welcomed to celebrate with them. And and there's this beautiful healing conversation in John 21 between Jesus and Peter. Peter had been out fishing with a few of the other disciples. He had chosen to walk away from the responsibility of discipleship. He had chosen to walk away from a life of following Jesus. But there's Jesus on the shore, watching from a distance, much like Peter had been the night of his betrayal, of his greatest failure. And Jesus invites them to come and eat breakfast together. And it's during this time that he takes Peter aside for a talk. 
And in John 21, 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him then, feed my lambs. He asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Peter was grieved because it was the third time he was asking him, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus, without saying it, was asking Peter to humble himself. When he first said, do you love me more than these? He was talking about the other disciples who Peter had so arrogantly said, I'm better than them. But, Peter didn't, but Jesus didn't say that to him directly. He did it in his kind and comforting way. He was asking Peter once again to recognize what he would done, had done, to move past his failure and to become once again the leader the rock, the shepherd of the church that Jesus had seen in him all along. And Jesus ends the conversation with two words, follow me. Jesus was now resurrected from the dead. He was asking Peter once again to follow him. He still wanted Peter to live into the life that he had seen for him all along. But Peter had a choice to make. He had to choose to follow him. And we have the same choice before us. We can stay in our failure and our regret, or we can follow him. We can allow our failure and regret to break us, or we can follow him. We can hide in shame and fear and regret, or we can follow him. Jesus calls us out of our failures to follow him into a fullness of life. Peter didn't know what the future held for him, and we don't know what the future holds for each one of us. But he knew that Jesus was calling him once again to surrender all at the feet of Jesus and follow him. So the question is today, will you follow him? Will you put aside the failure that you think defines you? And will you follow him and surrender all for the future that he has in store for you? Let's pray together. Lord God, I am, I am so grateful for examples like, like Peter and Moses and Elijah and Saul and the way that we can look at their failure and realize, Lord, that we're not hopeless, that we aren't stuck in that place, Lord, but that if you are calling us to follow you, if we will respond, then you will, through your grace, change us and bring us out on the other side of failure. 
Lord, I lift up anyone here today that might be living in failure and regret and shame of the past. Maybe it was something small that happened years ago and it just is something that's hung on for years and years and years. Lord, I pray that we would know your freedom from failure, that we would know your freedom from regret and shame, and that we would lay down our all to follow you once again this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.